Hello and welcome to this edition of the Retail Tech Review. Uh, we're joined today by John Gillen, who's MD of Northern Europe for Critio. Welcome, John. Uh, and Lindsay Roundtree has managed to sneak in again. So she's our head of content. She's here today. Welcome, Lindsay. Uh, and I'm Hugh Williams. I'm the editor for Retail Tech News. Um, our first topic today, and excuse me if we're a little bit speedy because we're stuck in a box of a room. <laughs> We've had to turn the fan off for heating purposes and, and noise purposes. Uh, so we're trying to get through this quickly. Um, but our first topic today is um, Tesco and Carrefour, who have teamed up in a strategic alliance aimed at cutting costs for customers, apparently. Um, but as as with most of these these sort of deals, I'm sure there are ulterior motives behind the move. Um, so, John, I'll, I'll come to you first. Just want to pick your brains a little bit about what what other moves do you think might be behind this this budding up between Tesco and Carrefour? Well, you have to excuse the uh, the pun, Hugh, but I think certainly that the global grocery market is certainly heating up, just like the uh, <laughs> just like the planet. Uh, but uh, you know, I would say. You, you look at tes- the Tesco Car for strategic alliance. Uh, if it goes through, then 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 yes, I mean the grocery market is a very very competitive space. Uh, you look at what's happening out there. You know, there's lots of consolidation happening. You're seeing, you know, we're seeing you know the Aldis of this world and the Lidl's of this world. Uh, when I started in the grocery industry over 20 years ago, now then the discounters had a share of less than four percent. If we look to today, then those two combined just in the UK alone have a have a market share in the UK grocery market of you know upwards of 13%. So they are a, a force to be reckoned with. They have huge amount of uh, global fit, footprint and a strong footprint across uh, Europe, uh, which gives them strong buying power. And so uh, I think there's that. That's a, a certainly a, a factor. Uh, we then, if we have a look at uh, just the other market players, in particular in the UK, then you know you've got Sainsbury's and ASDA looking to uh, Sainsbury's looking to to buy ASDA, which would give them make them the largest. Uh, UK grocer with over 30% market share. Then I think you can't ignore um, Amazon. I think Amazon, you know, still uh, very sort of uh, still making small strides into the grocery sector. But if you look in the US marketplace, uh, the US market overall grocery market is a lot bigger, over 800 odd uh, billion in terms of sales in the US. So it's a huge marketplace. Uh, And yes, online is still relatively small at less than 2%. But in the space of like a, a number of years, then Amazon's already managed to capture 18% of US uh, online grocery sales, 18% in a couple of years. So that's, uh, I think you can't ignore Amazon at your peril, I would say, in grocery. Um, so they have an you know, amazing offering. They bought Whole Foods. Uh, you know, they're looking at one day delivery, two day, two day delivery. Um, and so I think uh, they have a strong proposition there. If you fast forward and look at the more the UK and the European market, then I would argue that the it is a different marketplace. From a grocery perspective, it is the most advanced grocery marketplace in the world. And online, I would say the online UK retailers uh, lead the world in terms of uh, online sophistication. Um, but that doesn't mean that they are immune to new entrants coming in um, and shaking up their marketplace, which they could do quite easily based upon uh, coming from a, you know, a low starting point. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned Amazon a lot there. And obviously what they're, they're obviously not grocers as, as a company, but they, they're moving into the vertical. In the US, they did that when they bought Whole Foods. Um, if they followed a similar business move in the in the UK, who do you think they might be looking at in terms of an acquisition or, or a similar partnership to what Tesco and Carrefour have done? I 
don't think you can rule out you know either option whether or not they they, they enter a market and go in via an acquisition or whether they go in and just build the business up from the ground roots up. I think both options are, are, are open to them. As the market consolidates, then there's not many players left for them to acquire. There's only probably one notable exep- exception, being something like a Morrison's there for them to acquire in terms of looking at a physical store estate, if that's their the, the market entry strategy. Uh, if you looked at, uh, but if you look at you know elsewhere in the world, uh, there's obviously the reported entry into the Nordics market uh, you know, and uh, yes, that's from a GM perspective. But again, they're looking to they you know, build that up from the ground roots up. Um, you know, buy the warehousing, establish a local uh, local expertise, and and build the market from the ground roots up. So, I think uh, you know whether it's a an acquisition or strategic alliance or just building the business from the ground. Then I think you know all options are open. But I I would certainly uh, see, you know their ambitions uh, clearly lie on becoming a, a force not only in GM but also in grocery retailing yeah definitely and I think Lindsay I'm keen to get your view on this because we spoke at our event last week about um, data alliances between sometimes between competitors and these two are definitely comp- competitors um, how do you think team ups like like this in the retail sector could benefit both Tesco and Carrefour when it comes to data sharing and getting to know their audience a bit better I think that you've hit the nail on the head it's about getting to know their audience better. Tesco have got a wealth of data in their own market and they understand their audience really well from Tesco Clubcard and they've got so much audience data, they've got a really good understanding and they can build and grow from that. And at the same time, Carrefour have got a similar sort of thing, but it's focused on a different market. How can they um, grow and expand cross-border? And I wonder if you'll start seeing more cross-border alliances like this um, as people are trying to kind of understand how they can bring their expertise into Europe or try and find Amazon and maybe cross-border is the answer to that. I'm not sure. Um, the, the the benefit of being able to do that means that they're, they're scaling their data and they're not just being able to kind of have a better audience understanding but actually scaling the data they already have and use it to understand how they can just expand probably beyond the likes of grocery. I mean, Tesco famously recently had to shut down Tesco Direct because it wasn't working for them, which was a shame, but, you know, would they be looking to get into that side of things or are they now just focusing on the grocery side of things? A data alliance with someone like Carrefour could help them understand what opportunities exist in other markets are they trying to get are they using Carrefour to kind of step step on them eventually maybe could Carrefour be doing the same thing in the UK market maybe but I think it's interesting I do I do feel like it could be I mean they're the, they're the big sort of behemoth of of the French market and the UK market I do feel like they could be they could be an interesting really interesting read into what actually could be happening next from a further cross-border within Europe particularly alliances like that yeah I think that, yeah, I think that's that that covers it. And also, just I, I guess we wouldn't see this sort of partnership between Tesco and Morrison's because of the like like you said the immediate location competition there. Yeah, I don't think Tesco feel they could probably get much value from Morrison's. No. And, and Morrison's are already kind of almost in bed with Amazon anyway. They've already partnered yeah. on their Prime yeah, Now offering. True. I think Morrison's are probably a bit risky for other other ones at the moment. But if Tesco were to want anyone in the UK, it would be the likes of Sainsbury's or ASDA. And um, well that's too far gone now so they can't really get in there so it, the, the only obvious option for them if they're trying to expand their footprint and, to, and with someone of, of a similar size to them would be someone like Carrefour yeah that's true um cool moving on to our second topic um which is prime day which was last week now week before last week we'll say last week it was it was, it was i think it was last oh, monday there you go I well i guess yeah. um so that was the third time amazon had done prime day um and it went off with a couple of hitches. I think their their site went down, which isn't great. Um, but but obviously it was still bumper sales for them. I mean, why is this? Because this isn't something we've really seen from 
other retailers there, there's not like a, a tesco day <laughs> uh, why is this such a, such an important day in in the amazon calendar why, and why does it work so well for them John? in the retail calendar in the yeah. retail calendar yeah <laughs> exactly that Lindsay and that's exactly what we're seeing it's it's not just a uh, Amazon Prime Day it is it's, it's becoming now uh, a really important day for the overall retail industry so you know we are it's, it's obviously critical for Amazon because it gets their brand out there establishes uh, Prime which is obviously a great uh, loyalty driver for them revenue driver for them and so that's obviously gets their brand out there and uh, and and what we've seen actually at Critio when we looked at our data is that there is a, this halo impact is happening across the overall retail industry even though it's 36 hour you know sales period um but other retailers are benef- benefiting from it so we looked at our uk uh, data and sales from across retailers and we saw that actually sales increased over that 36 hour period by 13 percent uh, across other retailers uh, those that were on sale or even not on sale but everybody seemed to be benefiting from consumers uh, focused on going out there and making those purchases over that 36 hour window and again it doesn't you know it's obviously a, it's a, a global uh, phenomenon we are seeing as well looking at uh, in even in the benelux region where you know, Amazon does not uh, deliver directly, but uh, people can order via you know the German site. But even there, we saw uh, the halo impact impacting other retailers, where sales are up by by thirty percent. So it's clearly it is a, it's an, as Lindsay said, it's an important day, not only for Amazon, but it's an important day in the retail calendar. Yeah. How do you think the halo halo effect works there? Because it's like like you said, some of the items that other people are going on to different sites and buying, they're not on sale. They're just is it, is it just because they are in a shopping mood anyway, so it just it just carries over? Do you think? Yeah, I think people are, you know people are, are doing their research, and you know when we when we look at re, uh, shopper behaviour, then in terms of how people are doing their research, then then yes, they are going. There's a certain percentage that are going into retailer sites directly. Uh, there is more and more we're seeing more more people now. If you look at some of the stats, then. Uh, it's upwards of 50% now. People are starting their research journey actually by going onto Amazon and browsing and looking at uh, you know the best products and prices, uh, and then they're going to search engines such as Google, etc., as well to look for look for products. Uh, but uh, you know, increasingly, we are seeing more people do their research on on Amazon. But then they are going to to retail other retailers' websites as well. So we're seeing more and more people uh, that that journey becoming a lot longer in terms of people researching and browsing, uh, looking for the kind of best deals out there. Are you seeing um, retailers start to actually run their own discounts on Prime Day? Could we be seeing like a third version of Black Friday and Cyber Monday? On the bandwagon, and mm. yeah. I think yeah. I think I think we, this is the fourth year now and running, and I think uh, I think you saw already in the industry, particularly in the UK here, a lot of retailers were already had sales uh, over that period as well, over that thirty-six hour period. Um, some re- retailers clearly piggybacking on the back of back of this where as consumers now we kind of get it as consumers we kind of recognize prime day we see it as a another event in the calendar uh like 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 cyber monday black friday etc so as a as a retailer then do you think as as a retailer selling on amazon do you think it's uh it's a positive or negative to have have prime day are you excited when it comes around or are you thinking I've got to discount my products to kind of keep up with with competition that might actually not have the best impact on sales because I don't necessarily want to have a sale at this time of year. It's that it's that uh, yeah it's that catch twenty two isn't it? I mean you, you kind of you'll take the sales but again you want to kind of build that loyalty at, at, at the same time. So I think it's just it is it's boxing clever and being smart isn't it in terms of the products that you are you're kind of you're you're, you're discounting etc that you're kind of happy with the kind of margins that that yeah that you're making. But it, yeah but it's it's that. Uh, 
it's kind of getting that kind of short-term drive in sales. But ultimately, as a retailer, if you're working on the Amazon platform, then you want to be building a long-term sustainable business and ultimately understanding your shoppers better and providing them with a better, you know, better experience yourself so you're not reliant on any one, specific, you know, one channel. Uh, so I think, yeah, I think that's the, I, you know, my... I think like everything with retailers, it, it is about you know trying to understand their shoppers um, and what they're what they're buying uh, on their own channels and a plus across across the overall web and across other third parties that they're they're selling from. And I think building on the you know the first point we raised about these strategic alliances, then you know we are seeing more and more of that happen, and and we are seeing that in order to compete at this time, it's not only just selling your goods at a discount, but it is truly truly understanding your shoppers and, and really having that uh, data to truly understand them. And so we're seeing you know maybe it was unheard of you know, 10, 20 years ago, people doing their strategic alliances like Tesco and Carrefour are doing today, but more and more now we're seeing retailers wanting and and, and actually collaborating and sharing. Uh, either their strategic assets or their actual data um, and collaborating together. So re- research we did with Forbes uh, showed that, uh, you know, over 70% of kind of UK retailers, uh, market CMOs were saying that they are either uh, happy to or already opting into a data uh, collective um, in order to get a more holistic view uh, of their shoppers. So I think that's key. I think, you know, there's always having one eye in terms of hitting that, you know, those quarterly sales period, but ultimately retailers uh, need to be thinking longer term and about how do they provide uh, value to their shoppers and building that loyalty today and also for tomorrow. 70% is quite a high number. I don't know if I expect it to be that high. And I guess, I guess as, as a retailer, in terms of data alliance, Amazon might not be number number one. I mean, they have, they have so much data, but how much of that they, they actually are willing to give back and share with you might be another factors to take into consideration yeah i mean i think well you look at amazon they're very much it's, it's a wall garden yeah. so i think they, they pass back if you're selling on the amazon platform they're passing back very very little data uh, back to the retailers themselves a lot of that they're using that intelligence to understand exactly what is what is what is selling selling well themselves hence it is even more critical i think for retailers to exactly act, enter into a uh, you know a, a collective uh, agreement where they are sharing data amongst themselves and so, and and Critter, we're seeing that. So, of of all the retailers that we work with, if we look at the UK landscape, then you know, seven out of ten of them are are sharing uh, data with us, which we're pooling into a collective, which we're then passing back to them, so that uh, you know retailer A may only see a shopper you know once, twice, a, you know, well, five times a year. Um, but actually they're getting a better understanding now of where else they're shopping, what else they're buying. So we're giving them, passing them back a more holistic view of that shopper. So ultimately they can provide them with a far more personalized experience and get them to spend more. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, I mean, I guess just lastly on this topic, what's the future for Prime Day? Because, and this is to both of you, I guess, because, I mean, it hasn't, it, it seems like an institution already, um, but it actually has only been going for a few years. Um, is it something that is going to stick to Amazon's core market, so US and Amir, or is it going to be, I mean, we mentioned earlier, they're looking to roll out across the Nordics. Is it something that they could use as perhaps a launch pad to get into other markets? How do we see that playing out? I mean, I guess they could do. I think when when Prime Day does occur in the likes of UK and the US, there are, there are eyes on it from other markets mm. that are going, oh, we wish we had something similar. That would be absolutely amazing. So they could definitely test it. But I think they could also do a lot to uh, build their core proposition in, I mean, I'm going to say the UK market because it's obviously my own market. Um, if you think about how they've improved, how they actually handle Prime Day in the UK in terms of 
helping their customers actually find what they want. It used to be just a thing where the, the joke would be you go on Prime Day and you'd end up buying things that you never even knew you needed. In fact, then you get them and you still didn't need them. <laughs> you're not even sure what you've actually bought. But now they're actually encouraging you to go and do some research beforehand. I mean, John, you were talking earlier about kind of how, how shoppers are researching and actually how that's probably helping have, an, have a halo effect other retailers on Prime Day. But I remember getting notifications through saying, will the items that you want be, on, be available on Amazon Prime Day? Why don't you go and make a list... And then we'll let you know if they are. And that's like, that's really smart because it's making me thinking, oh, actually, that robot vacuum cleaner that I cannot afford and do not need, but do kind of want. Maybe if I add it to a list, it'll come up and say it's half price. I might actually end up buying it. And it's those kinds of things that I think they're getting smarter and smarter as they're getting more and more data and they're working out how to make the most of the data they've got that's what I find interesting if they can get to a level where they're as smart as that and then roll that into the smaller less scalable markets it'll just make it a much yeah a much better experience for everybody yeah I think everyone needs robot vacuum cleaners though don't they well I think everyone does yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah anyway um our last topic today is the um the fact that retailers are struggling with consistent omnichannel experiences and this is a piece of research that showed that uh, just 5% of UK consumers say they received a very consistent customer experience when comparing a retailer's website to its app or its in-store experience. Um, and I, I guess my question here is, why is this such a challenge for retailers? Because omnichannel experiences isn't something, it's, like, it's not a new term. We've been talking about it for such a long time now. And yet, obviously, not many retailers have got to grips with it. What are the issues that they're facing here? So I say that the, the customer journey is just becoming more and more fragmented. It's it's more and more difficult to kind of piece together that customer journey. People are going onto you know, social channels and researching uh, goods to buy, and they're doing this kind of twenty four seven. They're going to retailers' websites, as discussed. They're kind of people are doing more and more research then on Amazon uh, in terms of starting their journeys, uh, along with uh, search engines. So the customer journey is just hugely fragmented, uh, and in order to understand the customer journey, you need the data. Um, and again, so, you know, retailers, as we've discussed in isolation, uh, aren't seeing the full picture of that overall customer journey. So I think that's the first challenge in terms of first and foremost, the data and understanding that overall customer journey. Second one is just uh, the it, it's difficult, right? It's difficult tying together all your assets, the stores, uh, along with your, you know, your online assets. And plus, you know, whether somebody's on a mobile device or a desktop or a tablet device. And really, truly understanding that journey across multiple devices and then cross online to offline. It's the, the holy grail to try and understand that and piece all that together. And so that's 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 challenging. Uh, and then, you know, thirdly, we're seeing the the reasons people are going to stores is is changing. You know, they're going more and more so now for an experiential, uh, you know, shopping shopping mission. And so, you know, stores themselves are having to redefine their in-store experience. So, you know, you've got... Uh, more and more now you've kind of got you know, digital being used in store and it's kind of seeing how they can integrate that more in to make it a more seamless journey and a, and a more pleasant sort of shopping experience. So I think the challenges are, you know, that you've got the data and understanding the shopper. You have the, you know, it's it's trying to tie together all your, your physical online assets. Uh, and then the nature of a store is changing as well, where you know people now expect uh, the in-store experience to be far more experiential and more personalized as well. When I walk into a store, you know, kind of want a personalized experience. How much do you think the business infrastructure of a retailer, and I'm, I guess I'm referring more to the sort of more legacy traditional retailers, is affecting the omnichannel experience? If you think like, you know, you have an area manager responsible for a number of stores, then you have one team responsible for the app experience, one team responsible for the site experience, another responsible for data. Do you find that there's a problem with silos where those, those aren't really being combined and it's affecting everyone's experiences? 
I'd certainly see I'd see, I'd see it as a, as, a, as a challenge. I don't see it as insurmountable. I think if you're a, if you're a traditional uh, retailer, then then yes, we've gone through that kind of evolution where we've kind of gone from e-commerce uh, and then a store-based uh, business to then multi-channel to then omni-channel uh, now. So I think we're I think we're overcoming that. We're seeing you know we're seeing chief customer officers now within the big traditional retailers, chief data officers, etc. As well, exactly that to combat those sort of challenges. But I think those that are successful are the ones that clearly the CEO and the board kind of get it and, and they've got a mission there to make sure that as a company then they truly are putting the customer at the heart of the business and, and whether that's whether you're a store assistant or somebody in fulfillment then everybody kind of uh, is focused on basically providing the best customer experience ever. I think then there is a certain amount of infrastructure and the, the kind of bolts nuts and bolts of it in terms of making sure you've got the right systems in place that one talks to the other so there's getting that that in place uh, and finally i think it's uh, just the hearts and minds the whole organization so and everybody needs to be bought into truly providing you know a great customer experience uh, across across channels so uh, i think there's a number of factors you know board level getting it investing into the into ultimately into, into, into e-commerce uh, the getting the infrastructure right and then winning hearts and minds uh, of every single employee within that business Mm. And do you think these digital native brands that are more direct to consumer focused, that are now kind of almost actually that are now coming into the, the in store space and you know doing things like pop ups and actually tying everything together? Do you think they are approach are able to approach this from such a different different angle that they're doing a much better job at this? I I certainly think the you know if you're an online an online store and that's where you were born, then you're certainly able to move faster because you don't have probably the legacy of the old the old systems and we're seeing that play out. You know you've got a Amazon. Amazon was, you know, quite quickly able to to launch Amazon Go, and uh, as a as a startup, as an incubator, and then start testing and seeing seeing what works and creating that a great seamless shopping experience um, in a, in a physical store format. It would be interesting to see, you know, how they kind of progress with that and how that kind of scales. You know, Alibaba again, it's an amazing amazing example there of somebody that uh, is you know has physical stores and has a, has a great online business. And if you look at Hema in China, then you know they've 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 kind of brought technology into the store in a seamless manner, and they are. I mean, it's hyper personalization. You kind of everything's on a mobile phone. Why? Because they truly, you know, understand exactly everything about that shopper and what they're doing in store. You know, they can go in, browse, check out, and purchase uh, all on a mobile phone device, and all the data is captured. So yes, you are able to provide a truly hyper personalized experience. And everything we talked about, all the challenges in terms of data and understanding your shopper, in terms of providing seamless a seamless shopping experience online and offline and uh, and, and and literally making sure that all the, the the infrastructure all works together i mean they're overcoming all those barriers so yes i, I would say if you're an online native then you are able to to kind of move faster in this space but that uh, i still feel you know traditional retailers still have a that physical store estate and people still at the end of the day they love to go into stores they love to feel you know and uh, and have a great shopping experience and they love to kind of see the product so um i feel like uh, i think traditional retailers have a have a, have a huge uh, have a huge competitive advantage from that perspective mm. right we're going to move on to the second half of the podcast now because it's getting hotter and hotter in this room um so i think people who listen to this uh, regularly will know that in this part of the podcast we uh, ask our guests a few questions about what their role is at their business and uh how how the business is working with retailers to improve the the retail technology environment and their their offerings um so john over to you um i guess i guess my first question is what's your what's your role at critio so my role at critio so i have been at critio now nearly two years my role is i'm managing director here as uh, she said uh, for northern europe so i look after all the 
or well, what I thought was the kind of cold, wet, windy countries, <laughs> but uh, but they're now all basking in 30 degrees of heat. So it's all the UK, Benelux, uh, and Nordics countries uh, for Critio. Uh, ultimately, my role is to work very much with our with our partners, uh, whether it's our retailers, uh, travel customers, classified customers, uh, and ultimately helping them uh, grow their business. And so. Uh, in terms of, for me, the, the really what um, what I uh, what I love working with our partners is just around how we can help them uh, exactly that understand their shoppers more. So at Critio, we do have an amazing sort of identity graph, a shopper graph, where we truly sort of see what the world is kind of buying. We have a uh, over six hundred billion uh, worth of a kind of shopper data, and this isn't kind of people that have just gone onto a page and said I like that thing or or have searched for a particular product. This is actually people that are buying you know physical goods. Um, and so we're actually able to, to kind of see what the world's buying. And, um, and so for me, I'm really, really passionate about helping uh, commerce players grow their business. And so uh, and at Critio, I feel I'm in a, a really strong place to be able to go in and consult, advise and also help them truly understand their shoppers better by able to passing back uh, a lot more data than they previously had and quality data around actually what the world is buying. And from the retailer's perspective, is it mostly are they using Critio's technology from a retention or uh, an acquisition perspective mostly, or is it a nice hybrid of the two? So Critio's proposition, very much we have a, a full full funnel offering. So literally, if somebody wants to go and acquire a new customer, then again, we have the best in breed technology to be able to do that. The business was founded on machine learning sort of over 10 years ago, and that's at the heart of the, the DNA of the business where we use uh, we use automation, we use technology, we use machine learning uh, to actually then truly understand shopper behavior and understand then uh, then and be able to go out and acquire those customers. So, yes, we can work with uh, with our partners around actually going out and acquiring the kind of customers that they want to bring into their business, along with then as well, if somebody's expressed an interest in a product, you know, we know more and more digital advertising. And as, as users, we're crying out for more advertising that actually is relevant and personalized. Uh, if you looked at the latest Mary Mika report, then despite all the you know Facebook uh, Cambridge Analytica scandals and everything around GDPR, then actually when you look at users, then 79% of us are still very, very happy to kind of share our data as long as there's a value exchange. You know, that we need to see what that benefit is. Um, but ultimately 79% very happy to kind of share back the data. And so, um, and that's all kind of what we're we're kind of we're building on. So, looking at uh, basically being able to acquire customers, retain those customers, show them personalised advertising off sites. So whether somebody's browsing a City AM or the Guardian newspaper, we're showing them relevant personalised advertising. Um, or if actually people are on a website, like if you're on a, an Argos website or an ASDA website, then Critia is working hand in hand with our retail partners to actually power the sponsored ads that you see on a retailer's website as well. So we are very, um, very much as part of the of helping our customers build uh, what we're calling a commerce marketing ecosystem, which is ultimately helping our partners drive more and more sales. Interesting. So when, when we talk about value exchanges, because obviously, obviously data has come under the microscope a lot recently. And when we when we talk about value exchanges, how, how do retailers know that? Because obviously that what, what a customer wants in, t- in return for their data varies massively customer to customer so how can retailers ensure that they're hitting the right customers with the right offerings and make, making sure that they are making it worth them to hand over their data i think first and foremost it, it's it comes down to just having that uh, transparency and control and so first and foremost it is it's just being very very transparent in terms of uh, the actual 
data that uh, that a, that a, a retailer is kind of is has, and so and then giving the the user the choice. So you kind of uh, make it transparent in terms of the data that uh, that they they hold, and then you give the, pass it back to the user about whether or not they want to opt in or opt out of uh, actually sharing or not sharing sharing their data. And then and I think the piece that we just as an industry we need to get better and better at is exactly showing the you know consumer benefits of them opting in and sharing sharing more data. So you know it does mean that you can have a more personalized experience um, and uh, which is more tailored to to you. And I think you know that's what we need to reinforce uh, as a, as an overall industry around the kind of value exchange. I think then you know people will yes be happy which they are they seem happy to now share the data but i think you know we need to do a better job at uh, showing them the benefits of what they get back and retailers are notoriously um protective of their sales data so they'll generally kind of give you up to a certain level of data and then everything else is just privy to themselves does that then cause challenges for them when they're trying to strategize how they can engage with their potential and current customers in the best way possible and give them a unique and personalized experience without i guess laying it on too thick with them so i would see i would see actually when you look at that i mean I, th- I would say that this the tide is changing on that front as well i'm seeing sort of you know maybe historically five ten years ago then then yes maybe retailers were a little bit more uh, reluctant or nervous about maybe passing back data to uh, maybe their, their, their supply base, but I would say that uh, that that sentiment is very much changing now. Where you know retailers, brands are, are very much you know partnering together now more more so than they ever have done before, and we are seeing more, as I said, more the emergence of data collectives, along with then more sharing and transparency of data between a retailer and their brand brand partners as well. Because ultimately, the the goal is the same. They they both want to sell more, and they both you know in order to do that, they need to. Uh, both understand the shoppers shoppers better so i think it uh, historically it certainly was a challenge i think it's by no means perfect but i would say the industry is going in the right direction where we're seeing more collaboration more sharing more passing back of data uh, from supplier to, to brand and vice versa i'm intrigued as well about um the right so the, obviously the rise of voice commerce is is massive in the well, it's going to be massive in the retail industry apparently um how are, how are Critio dealing with this? Because obviously in terms of, a lot of people know you as a retargeting platform and obviously that's a very visual um, way of advertising. How are you guys adjusting to voice? Do you, do you think it's going to be a big trend and what are you what are you doing to prepare? So yeah, great great question. So I think I, I truly believe that voice uh, will be again like very, very disruptive again uh, within, you know, we've had kind of mobile and we've seen how that, that trend has uh you know, took off over the last kind of 10 years and has changed shopping behavior for forever in a profound manner. I do believe that um, voice and, and uh, using and voice assistance will again have a profound impact on, on commerce uh, as, as a whole. I think it will take, you know, it will take time before it becomes sort of part of people's DNA in terms of uh, how, we, how, we use a, how, how we use a voice assistant uh, to help us, whether it's you know, at home, uh, finding out the weather, right through to, you know, making our, our daily purchases. Um, but it will have a profound impact. impact. Uh, in order for it to be effective, though, you know, it all comes down to understanding the shopper. And so if I go onto a voice assistant now and try to order my, my groceries, then it's a less than perfect experience. Um, in an ideal state, then actually it, I wouldn't need to prompt it to reorder my toothpaste or shower gel or toilet paper that we've run out of uh, in an ideal world. That's kind of prompting me and seeing more predictive uh, commerce where it's actually sort of saying these goods are already on their way to you because we recognize that, you know, you run out of these items every four weeks and we've reordered it for you. 
you know, the most, that's the ideal state. And to get there, it truly needs to, you know, needs to understand my shopper behavior and behind that's all the, all the data. So I think, you know, in terms of how Critios uh, can help now and help, can help in the future, then, you know, we're, I would say, argue best place to be able to help a retailer understand exactly that, that shopper, shopper journey and what people are buying, how frequently they're buying their items. And so, um, so I think that's that's the kind of the I would say our our positioning. Whether people are buying on a voice assistant in store online, then at the heart of it is it comes back to you know, understand understanding their the, the shopper and the and the data. Mm. And are, are retailers ready for for voice optimization yet? Have they, have they put plans in place? Do you think, or is it are a lot of them a bit behind the behind the wheel on this one? I would say I think retailers are very much looking at this. They're already looking at doing, you know, partnerships, whether it's with uh, Google Home or with Alexa and already sort of using that kind of test and learn approach in terms of understanding this channel. It's still very, very small. Um, But ultimately, you know, you look at it, uh, if we look at voice search on terms of number of, you know, searches on Google already, you know, Google's saying that, you know, 40% of the searches on a a mobile phone device are kind of voice, voice. So it is, you know, we process voice, information sort of seven times faster than we do sort of the written words so uh it it will become the norm for our children's generation to actually speak to a voice assistant to ask them the weather to you know order certain items um so that will be the that that kind of is is the future and you know we are still you are starting to see the early signs where from a search perspective then you know we'll see starting to see voice uh actually be, be quite demonstrable in terms of its uh the number of kind of voice searches that we're seeing um, and even though commerce at the moment is still relatively small, over the next five years, then that will uh, will have a, yeah. a, a sizable impact. Yeah. And what other areas uh, do you think over, over the next few years, because obviously voice is going to be a, a massive player, what other areas are you guys looking at and kind of de- developing into at the moment? So we are, we're actually, uh, we've just invested actually a uh, 20 million investment and and uh, and hiring a further 100 engineers at our, our Paris head office uh, we're building a an AI lab there and so that's uh, we're investing into that kind of technology we're making it so very much open source but that is again truly uh, again hiring those 100 engineers to again try and understand shopper behavior in a far more profound manner and then applying technology and AI technology into exactly that truly understand shopper behavior not only online but also in an offline capacity as well so that's uh that's something where that lab we're really excited about it's a huge investment um and i think again it's kind of future proofing our business uh, now and into the next next few years uh, ultimately again seeing how we can add value and partner uh, with uh with with our commerce hmm. partners hmm. excellent um Lindsay, unless you've got any more questions, I think I might end it there because it's getting hotter and hotter in here. I feel like I'm melting. Yes, do keep <laughs> um, I wouldn't say no to that. <laughs> uh, Lindsay and John, thank you very much for your time today. Um, and we'll see you next time on the Retail Tech Review.